everyone. Welcome to the first episode of 2024 on Tent Pegs and Tabernacles. We're so glad that you're taking the time to join us on this podcast. And to our listening audience out there, we really apologize for the gap between our last podcast of 2023 and our first podcast of 2024. Just be honest, we were navigating the holidays, a new year was beginning. We really intended to record and post a podcast before now, but we ran into a few technical challenges. But here we are. We are back. And I just want to say again how encouraged we are by all the feedback we're receiving from our listeners. You guys have been just amazing in encouraging us and uh, really inspiring us to continue going with these episodes, talking about what it means to live a missional life. How do you live rooted in the place that God has sent you while at the same time maintaining this heart for the nations and kind of bringing those two things together, the intercessory global side and the very locally minded servanthood side. So we're going to keep talking about that in today's podcast. The theme we're going to talk about today is a consecrated life and how to live that in every context that God sends you to. You know, for Delanda and I, we really, in terms of ministry, were raised in a very consecrated environment in Hamilton, Alabama, with a ministry called The Ramp. That environment, by nature, brings you into a lifestyle of consecration. It's very much a John the Baptist environment. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, outside of some of the compromises that were present in the city of Jerusalem at that time. And because his environment was a consecrated environment, it produced a lifestyle that was a consecrated lifestyle, and it gave him a voice to challenge his generation to live in a way that was set apart to God. And the question we want to tackle is, how do you do that? How do you still live in that kind of rhythm when you're not living in an environment that produces consecration? When you're not John in the wilderness, when God leads you into places on a missional level that is maybe more urban, maybe more secular, maybe doesn't have the same kind of you know community that is burning with prayer and fasting, how do you continue to live that lifestyle? So that's what we want to jump into today, exploring that, looking at the Word, and telling personal stories of what we've experienced so far living in Manchester, England. I love that, and it's so true. There's such a difference between being saturated in an, like a, a greenhouse or a hothouse type environment where all the conditions are just right, you know, for seeking the Lord and for burning for God. And and um, that, you know, contrasted against being out in secular society, working a secular job, going to, um, you know, a secular school or a university or, you know, even for uh, for everyone, even just getting out in culture, you were faced with uh, just a barrage of different elements that we're constantly fighting to keep our faith rooted and grounded. And um, so I'm really excited about this topic. Um, and, you know, this is something that I feel like we have learned a lot about. I feel like it's something we're still experiencing, still growing in all the time, even, you know, walking this out, not just for our own lives, uh, but, you know, watching this happen in the lives of our kids and, you know, asking the Lord for wisdom and for counsel about how to shape them and how to support and encourage them and how this applies in their own faith as well. 
that's really great feedback talking about how we're continuing to learn it on a family level, on a personal level. And I'll just say about the necessity of this topic, if we don't, as Christians, find a way to live a consecrated life, regardless of the environment, then it's always going to, it's always going to limit us on a missional level. Because now we are restricted in the kinds of places God can send us. If we are dependent only on certain circumstances to live set apart to God, then that means we can only live in those circumstances, because God will not put us in places that ultimately make us vulnerable to the degree that we're no longer walking with Him. So learning to live a consecrated life, regardless of the environment, is not just a matter of personal piety. It is a matter of missional necessity. So as we've been talking about this, just between me and Delena and you know, engaging with great questions from young adults right there in Manchester that are asking these very same questions. We have really been inspired by the lifestyle of Daniel in Scripture. And when you contrast Daniel and John the Baptist, it's a really interesting contrast and comparison. You see lots of overlaps and similarities, but you also see some really key differences. The overlap is they both had a Nazarite element to their life. They both had a Nazarite DNA that was driving them. For John the Baptist, that looked like, you know, the, his attire, it looked like his message, it looked like his location, and of course, it was the abstinence from wine. That was a key factor in the life of the Nazarite. They were, you know, declaring that we want to maintain a level of clarity regarding our discernment so we can be a voice that would uh, call people to a lifestyle of holiness. And that's what you see also in the life of John the Baptist. He says no—I'm sorry, in the life of Daniel. He says no to wine, not because it was commanded of every Jew, but because in the middle of his environment, he says yes to a Nazarite DNA to be a voice of clarity. So there's definitely some overlap and similarities, but here's the key difference. It's what I mentioned a moment ago. It was their environment. John's consecration was a product of his environment. That doesn't mean it wasn't real. It was certainly real because he chose to be there. He went to the place God called him to be. Daniel's consecration was not a product of his environment. He was in Babylon. He was in the belly of the beast. He was in a pagan, secular culture. He was in a place where every single day he was facing conflict and challenge regarding his faith, and his walk with God. So if John's consecration was environment-based, what was Daniel's? And the way I would like to say it is this. Daniel's consecration was a rhythm-based consecration. It was not something dependent on his location or his environment. It was something that was rooted in his rhythms of devotion. So looking at the lifestyle of Daniel, when we start to ask the question, how do we live consecrated regardless of you know, where we live and, and uh, where our assignment takes us? I think something to learn from the life of Daniel is we have to find rhythms that accommodate consecration and devotion and that lead us forward in our walk with God. I love that. That's so strong. And I love even just that language when you said it. It's like something moved in me. You know, rhythmic um, devotion to the Lord. And, you know, I feel like so many times we are, when we're engaging culture, we're sometimes can come from this place of wanting to, whether it's proving to ourselves or proving to the Lord or whatever, trying to make a statement of, 
look, I'm set apart, I'm different, I'm consecrated. And I think what's so interesting to me about what you said about this rhythmic nature to a, you know, a lifestyle of following God and of devotion with God is that is just a, it's a very stable, something that looks very, very simple. It's not um, flashy and it's not spectacular and it's it's not trying to find how can I do these spectacular things to let people know uh, that I'm different uh, that I'm set apart, that I'm consecrated. And does doesn't mean that there are not times for, you know, maybe acts of obedience that require something of that nature. But I love the steady rhythmic element of walking faithfully before the Lord, whether you are in an environment that is conducive to that or not. And, you know, it really, really takes a lot of spiritual maturity to be able to do the repetitive, seemingly mundane tasks of walking with the Lord, of walking in integrity, of walking in godly character, and to do that in the face of such an aggressive pagan culture that we're living in today. That's amazing. I love how you pointed out that Daniel's consecration um, w- while there are spectacular things about it, there are spectacular moments, like you said. You know, there's the Daniel and the Lion's Den deliverance. There's these intense angelic visitations. There are dreams and there are visions. Of course, his life includes that, but that's not what his life was built upon. And that's not what even caught the attention of the secularized environment around him. As far as we know, You know, his intense angelic encounters and dreams and visions were not even widely known to his colleagues. What caught their attention was his rhythms, his rhythms of prayer and his excellent spirit in regard to his work. One of the defining verses of Daniel's life that has really inspired me a lot, and this is where I get that language, rhythm-based consecration, is Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10. Of course, Daniel chapter 6 is about Daniel in the lion's den. We all know that story. And we often think about Daniel's praying three times that day, maybe as a response to crises. It was almost like, you know, in response to the threat of the lion's den, is that why he started praying three times that day? And the answer is no. When you look at Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10, it says that he went into his upper room, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, that's something perhaps we'll bring up in just a moment, and he prayed three times that day, and then it ends with this phrase, as was his custom since early days. So Daniel's rhythm of praying three times a day with his face set toward Jerusalem, that was not something he did in response to crises. That was something he did to invest into consecration. He had a rhythm of walking with God. He had a rule of life that caused him to draw close to God. And though he was in Babylon, he lived by the rhythm of Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, God instituted a rhythm of prayer, of daily sacrifices. And God has a way of meeting us in those rhythms of prayer. You see, when you look later at John the Baptist, and when the angel visited Zechariah, his father, the angel Gabriel did not just show up at some random moment. He came at the hour of prayer when Zechariah was at the altar offering up incense. So what we would encourage everyone listening to this to do is to prioritize what Delaney just said, the mundane rhythms of prayer that at times it doesn't look spectacular, it doesn't feel always revelatory, it doesn't always feel even supernatural, 
but God has a tendency to visit us in the middle of those very mundane rhythms. Not only that, but he has a tendency to sustain us through them. There's this wonderful scripture in the Psalms, and I would have to look up the exact reference, but it says, God, you uphold me with through or within my integrity. And I love that verse because it's saying the integrity of our life, the rhythms of our life, those become the avenues of grace through which God sustains us and upholds us. So that is really key. It is. And, you know, I think another thing about those rhythms of consecration, that habitual, um, those habitual tasks that we have, things that we do, the pulling aside to pray, all of those kinds of things, the little things that we do that we think maybe no one pays attention to, I think those are actually massively noticeable to people. And there is something about um, that consistency and that faithfulness and just the quiet simplicity to do, to live out your faith in that way every single day, no matter what else is changing around you, it speaks volumes to people. And I think that those are the things that come back uh, around. And and when there are people who, they may seem to like ignore it or even mock it at times. But you know, when I've seen this time and time again through the years, people who are are you know, not followers of Jesus, and they they end up going through a, a difficulty or a season of difficulty in their life, they very quickly turn to those people who they have seen walk in faithfulness and in consistency, because that speaks volumes to people that there's meat to your faith, there's something of substance, this is not just some sort of you know, flippant approach to your life, but this has substance to it, real grit. And I think it's massively impactful in the lives of people. Yeah, I agree. That was certainly true in Daniel's life. The simplicity of his rhythms caused there to be an awareness of who he was and the the consecration he lived by. So from that, let's consider another aspect of Daniel 6.10 that I mentioned in passing a moment ago, that Daniel, when he prayed, opened up his windows toward Jerusalem. Now that is really significant, I think teaches us a lot about having a rhythm-based consecration, a consecration that's not dependent on our environment so that we can live missionally. So how what does that teach us about consecration? Though Daniel was in Babylon, his mentality didn't get stuck in Babylon. Though Daniel was in Babylon, he was not governed by the priorities of Babylon. He kept his windows open toward Jerusalem, and what that speaks to me, it speaks to me on a lot of different levels, but I'll just kind of focus on one, focus on one level. One level that speaks to me is this. He reminded himself that Babylon was a temporary place. It was not a place to create all of his values from. It was not a place to prioritize in such a way that he forgot he was an alien, so to speak, in that land. And when you remind yourself that where you are is temporary in the grand scheme of things, it empowers you to live missionally. It empowers you to prioritize God's agenda for that season. Now, I'm not saying that every time you live somewhere geographically, you're not going to be there that long. I'm talking about temporary in the sense of the present age and the age to come. As Jesus told his disciples, you are not of this world. In other words, Daniel 
living in Babylon, he was not of Babylon, he was of Jerusalem. And he kept his core identity in front of him by praying toward Jerusalem. Jesus teaches us to do something similar when he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. We're opening up the windows of our hearts toward heaven, and we're reminding ourselves that our citizenship is from heaven. So when we live here on earth, we're not living for our own comfort or convenience. We're living a missional life in regard to Uh, in regard to eternity. So keeping the eternal dynamic in front of us empowers us to live in such a way that we're not entrapped by temporary pleasures that weaken our consecration before God. That's so true. I remember years ago uh, listening to Francis Chan actually talk about this idea of eternity, and it has stuck with me ever since. It's deeply impactful, and I'm sure a lot of people listening may have already even heard this, but Francis Chan, Chan does teach on this you know, idea of like we put, we put so much of our emotion and everything into the life that we're living right now. This is, you know, when you're in the middle of living life, it, the days are long, <laughs> the years are long, you know, uh, but he has such a great illustration where he has this long rope and the rope is just, I mean, it's covering the stage. It's super long. And the very, very end of the rope is painted red. And he's like, this is your life, you know, and eternity is the rest of the rope. And just the the simple illustration of just why are we putting all of our focus and all of our emphasis and all of our our time and every energy into this little tiny red section of this rope? And when we have all of eternity that we should be focusing on. And, you know, I find myself even from time to time when seasons get busy and, you know, even in seasons of difficulty and it's very, very easy to lose lose sight of the eternal aspect that you're talking about, but I'm constantly challenged to come back to that reality of, Lord, let me be rooted and grounded in eternity, in the age to come. And I don't want to be so tethered to this world and so connected to my life here and you know, what opportunities either open or close for me or how I spend my life. Ultimately, what do I want? I want to know that I have been a faithful steward of the life that has been given to me. And if that means a life of consecration and of sacrifice and of giving myself to be used by God for his kingdom, Lord, let that be the story of my life. You know, I don't want to be living for this world when eternity is beyond and before us. And so I think everything that you're saying, it just resonates so much, this idea of being rooted in eternity. And when you when you get that perspective, it's like it realigns all of your priorities when you look through the lens of eternity. And so I'm just really, really encouraged by this. I hope this is an encouraging element as well, even to those who are listening, is just keeping focused. Like you're saying, Daniel was with his windows open facing Jerusalem. That, And yeah, I know that can kind of play out in different ways for all of us, what, what that is that we're focusing on. But I think that eternal focus is something that is perpetually there in front of us that we have to maintain our sights on at all times. Yes, I think the eternal focus keeps us missionally minded, and being missionally minded helps us maintain a consecrated life, a life that is set apart 
to God. You know, I feel actually that one of the things that have aided our children the most in taking steps down the road of consecration is living in a missional environment. Because you would almost think living in a more secularized environment in Manchester, England, living in a neighborhood that is very pluralistic in regard to different religions, having friends at school that are of different faiths, you would almost think that would weaken consecration, that would weaken faith, that would weaken them in their walk with God. What I have found is that it has sharpened them in those areas. It has sharpened their faith. It has sharpened their prayer life. It has sharpened their awareness that they can't live by the same patterns of the world because there is a clear and obvious difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And so sometimes the best way for you to really make sure your consecration life is thriving is by engaging missionally where God has called you to be, and you suddenly realize, I cannot be a counterforce to the world around me if I'm still still living by the same patterns of the world around me. I cannot be somebody that is representing a different kingdom when I'm being governed by the same kingdom by the people around me. So it's like this whole you know mixture of eternity, mission, consecration, they all work together in this beautiful way that keeps us on the path that God's called us to be. So let me mention something else about Daniel, and there's so many things to talk about with with Daniel. We may have to do another podcast another time to get through all of it because his life is so rich. It's been so inspiring for me. One of the things I love about Daniel is that Daniel was very engaged with the world around him. We see that at different points in his life. And kind of let me explain this for just a second, because I think it's really going to maybe help people when you have this model of consecration in your minds. Daniel, when he was a young man, he went to a secular university. He was in the Babylonian education system, and he had to learn the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. He had to dress according to their customs in order to work in that environment. After he gets out of the educational system, he then serves before the king. And he's constantly not just living a life of prayer and fasting, not just living a life of three times a day, not just living a life of angelic encounters, but he's going to work and he's in the world. There's actually these interesting moments where Daniel would have these intense encounters And like, you know, Gabriel is showing up. And then at the end of that, Daniel would say, and so I got up, I washed my face, and I went about the king's business. What does that mean? How do you translate that into our language today? He basically said, I had this amazing time of prayer, and then I got up and I went to work. And I think especially for young people, that can really encourage you that you can do both. In other words, to live a consecrated life doesn't always require you to shut everything down and just go to a consecrated environment. There are times and seasons where God's called you to do that. There are times and seasons where he says, go to the wilderness. But there's also scriptural example that you can live consecrated in a burning place of prayer and fasting and still 
maintain a really good job, <laughs> still be engaged in the world. And I know that's a simple thought, but I, I talk to a lot of young people that really wrestle with that. Honestly, not just young people. I talk to older people who are in a career, and you almost see this look of regret in their eye, like, oh, did, am, can I? Sh- should I just kind of quit everything and, and go back and do some things that I wish I would have done when I was young, a young person. And I'm, I don't know, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. I think biblically we find examples, even in the New Testament, where Paul says, stay in the calling that you were living in when you came to faith in Jesus. If you were in this kind of vein of work, stay in that vein. If you were this kind of lifestyle, stay in that lifestyle. Why? Because God's model is to infuse every vein of society with kingdom culture and God's way of life. And the way that he does that is, yes, according to our values, he pulls us out of the world, we become a new creation, but then he implants us back into the world to be kingdom ambassadors and representatives. So I love that element of Daniel's lifestyle. It's so true, and I I feel the same way even like I, one of the things I say to the kids a lot of times and that I pray over the kids when they're going to school is like, I pray like, Lord, let them be freshly reminded that they are being sent as light into a dark place. You know, the last thing that I want to do is, you know, abandon these schools where there's, there's not light in them. So I want, I want to send them into this environment. And that's, you know, that in saying that I'm not, you know, looking down on people who are choosing specifically to not put their kids in those schools. So let that be said loudly and clearly. This has been a place of just specific conviction for our children in this season of our lives. Um, But, you know, I felt that way. Um, I, you know, I went to a just, I was in the public school system uh, my whole growing up life. But I also, I mean, I was in church the week after I was born. So I was raised in church my entire life, but always attended public school, went to a secular university. And, you know, it was one of those things, like, honestly, I feel like being in that environment forced me to have to, to know that I had to be distinct in some sort of way. I had to live out my faith. I always knew I was called to be different. I knew that I should look different as a believer. I knew that I shouldn't blend in. I knew that I should be a witness and a testimony. And there was a missional element constantly just being in a secular school, a secular university. And so that is one of the things that I pray over the kids all the time. You know, you are light in a dark place. So go shine the light and the love and the truth of Jesus in the dark environments that you're being sent to. So I, I'm with you a thousand percent on all of that. Yeah, one of the things I often pray over the kids on the way to school in the morning is a scripture where Paul is writing and he says, through us... God diffuses the fragrance of Christ into every place. And that's the idea is that we carry the fragrance of Christ by the Spirit through our lives. And wherever we go, it releases that fragrance. Now, people will respond to it in different ways. Paul says, for some people, that fragrance is the fragrance of life. For other people, it's the fragrance of death. Because where, you know, regarding... uh, Their heart posture toward God sort of determines how they receive us. And so, you know, but my point there is to say, 
We live as the fragrance of Christ, regardless of the environment, regardless of the reaction, we live missionally minded that that is our duty. And one of the things that Delana and I both really value about our own earlier seasons of discipleship, once we got connected to the ramp and started growing on the ministry team Chosen, is that most of the time we were on Chosen, we were also attending secular universities, as the way Del- as Delana just described. And you would go in and out of these massively contrasting environments. So on the weekends, we would be riding, you know, in a, on a charter bus and it's 30 young people that are just growing in God together. It's it's a consecrated community. We're talking about the word on the bus trips and you know over meals and we we go to a church and we have these prayer meetings and we're preaching, you know, follow Jesus, lay down everything and we're seeing these God encounters at altar calls and you know the the cultural atmosphere in churches beginning to shift as they say yes to greater levels of you know intercessory prayer and you know Ezekiel 37, uh, you know, Valley of Dry Bones, all of this stuff, you know, that was marking for us. And then we drive back to Hamilton, Alabama, and when the bus got there, 2 a.m. on a Sunday night, you you know, we get in our cars, and Delaney would drive to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I'd drive to Florence, Alabama, and Monday morning, you're sitting there with these atheist professors that are trying to dismantle your faith, the classmates sitting around you are talking about, you know, their parties during the weekend and all of their sexual exploits, and you're like wrestling with this intense contrast. But I really valued living in that tension because, as Delana said, it it sharpened my mentality on what it means to live a missional life, and it was a testing experience to say, is my consecration platform-based? Is my consecration only a reality when it's convenient and it's advancing me in ministry? Or is my consecration something that remains regardless of the environment that's around me? I love that. You know, I would I would love in some of this too to get into some like practical, you know, um, elements of how how do you actually walk this out? Like this is all theoretical at this point. We're talking about a lot of big concepts, um, but when you boil it down, you know, for somebody like I'm even thinking with you sharing that story, uh, you know, of us back, you know, in university days um, and those contrasting environments. You know, I would love to even speak into that demographic right now, people who are specifically going back and forth, maybe, you know, and some things that some tools and um, things that can be super helpful. You know, one of the things that I would love to say about that is, and what was so critical for us in that season, and I mean, still is, um, is being connected to other people who are burning for the Lord, where you've got some sort of fuel and some sort of accountability in your life. But I think also having a connection to some kind of mission or purpose. You know, I remember going back, um, you know, we would do like a three-day conference. We're in the glory. We're crying out for God, you know, deeply transformed and changed. You're like in a glory cloud. You don't want to come down and go do anything. And the next thing you know, Monday morning, you're you know, sitting in a secular class, hearing all kinds of information. You know, how do you transition there? But, you know, I feel like every time I stepped onto that campus, I felt like I had a mission 
So we're talking about missional living. And I did. I was very, very connected. Obviously, there's the bigger picture of, of, of you know, missional living. But it was very personal to me in that season that I was believing for my campus. I was specifically taking what I was being impacted with on the weekends. And I was going back into my campus that week, believing for lives on that campus to be transformed. I was walking across campus praying in the Holy Ghost under my breath. Every step that I took, I was declaring that we were taking that ground, you know, for the kingdom of God. And I remember being just infused with with passion and with faith and believing for transformational encounters, not just at church, not just in conferences, but for the lost that I was encountering every single day. So I would say on a practical level too, just to encourage listeners out there, make sure you are connected to some kind of vibrant community that is going after something for the kingdom of God. You know, it's either believing for your city, believing for your campus, believing for families, but whatever it is, and make sure that you are tethered to some sort of mission that's bigger than just your own life and your own you know, education or your own career. So I think staying connected to that. Is there anything else like you would say on that? Yes. But before I go into that, I just, I love those two things on a practical level. Number one, community. Number two, mission. Those are so, so key. A third thing I would add is something that we said earlier, and it's rhythm. Finding rhythms of leaning into God in prayer day after day after day, just stirring your soul to go after God. You know, several years ago, Samuel Bentley and I teamed up and wrote the book Simple Devotion together. And our entire message is that we become radical disciples of Jesus by doing the simple elementary things. It's not the spectacular things that make us unusual. It's the simple things that make us unusual. And so find those rhythms and live by them. Another thing I would add is what I what I call the battle of the appetite. Daniel's consecration was not just general, it was specific. There were specific areas where he fought for his appetite. That looked like for him living a fasted lifestyle. He abstained from wine. Another thing he did, it says he did not eat the delicacies of the king's table. Now, it's very popular to do a Daniel fast, 21 days where we abstain from meat and sweets. I don't have anything against that. I I embrace that. I do that. That's been a big part of my life. However, when Daniel abstained from wine and the delicacies of the king's table, that was not a 21-day period. That was later in his life he did a 21-day fast. He did that for the entirety of his life. It says in Daniel chapter 1 that he lived that way all the way until the reign of King Cyrus. That was about 80 years that Daniel lived that way. So what's what's the practical application for us? For each of us and the environments we live in, we have to find specific ways in which we battle for our appetite. You see, regarding entertainment choices, regarding things of that nature, it's not just are we offended by something. It's what is this producing in terms of my desires? Is this leading me into a kingdom appetite, a God appetite, or is this causing within me carnal desires, things that are contrary to the commandments of God? And so finding practical ways to win the battle of the appetite and to continue to grow in God. 
So I think those are some key things. Again, the life of Daniel is so rich. This topic is so rich. I would like to visit again in the future because we've not even really unpacked the intercessory side of Daniel. That's another key element to his life. I mean, I know we've talked about the missional side, the rhythms of prayer, but the specific intercessory side is maybe a topic for another episode. Love, any last thoughts before we pray and close this particular topic? Uh just want to encourage everybody just, you know, take it a step at a time. Don't be over overwhelmed with, you know, wow, <laughs> this is a massive thing to do. But just like we started out saying at the beginning, it really is not just the spectacular. It is the simple, repetitive, rhythmic elements of consecration and devotion. That's what makes you deep in God. It's what gives you a well from which to draw from. It's what keeps you. It stabilizes you. So I think just in starting anywhere, making sure that there are um, there is some kind of rhythmic nature to the pursuit of God to, you know, bottom bottom line, bare bones, you're in the word of God every single day. You know, you are in communion with God talking to God every single day. You know, there's got to be some sort of element of feeding your spirit, feeding your spirit every single day before you go out into the world. Um, And that's just bare bones just to make it through. You've got to have that. So I would say if, if you're wondering where to start, start there, just making sure that you have a really healthy rhythm of devotion with the Lord and trust in the in the voice of the Lord and in the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead you, you know, um, Holy Spirit is very, very good at his job. He knows how to convict. He knows how to prod. He knows how to speak to you and to speak in your language. Um, so just ask, asking the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit, you know, speak to me, show me areas that you want me to cut away, things that are distractions, things that are maybe choking out uh, the seed that you've planted in my life. So I just want to speak those words of encouragement. Um, we're with you and just believing for, for the Lord to strengthen these areas of this missional element to your lives as we're, we're believing for the Lord, the Lord to do that in our own lives, the lives of our children, our family. And um, so we love you guys. Yes, we do love you guys. So I'll end in prayer and then uh, we'll wrap up this episode. Father, we thank you for the guidance of your word, that when we look into your word, Lord, we find witnesses of what it means to live set apart to you, what it means to live the lifestyle of being in Christ. We see that anticipating you in the Old Testament. We see it lived out in the New Testament. And so, Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us how to do this, how to live consecrated regardless of what environment we're in, that we can live in rhythms, Lord, that express your kingdom so that other people can see your glory. Lord, through us, diffuse the fragrance of Christ into all places. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for joining us on this episode of Tent Pegs and Tabernacles. We look forward to spending time with you next time. Thank you.